You're listening to Shit Adults Never Taught Us, the podcast where we talk shit in a good way. We made it to the season two season finale. That's crazy to me, you guys. Thank you so much for being on this journey with me for two full seasons now, 20 episodes. You guys are so crazy and amazing, and I love you, and thank you. So today's finale features Mackenzie Smith, whose photography is bonkers good, and I stumbled upon her on social media, and I just, I think she is so whimsical. She makes the funniest videos, and her spirit is just amazing. I can't express it with words, but her carefree and honest nature just captivated me. And I started following her, but her photography is insane. So we talk about everything. We talk about photography. We talk about adaptability. We talk about parenting styles, ADHD. It's all in here, you guys. So before we dive in, I just want to say a quick thank you for listening to season two. And we'll be back soon with another season of Shit Adults Never Taught Us. But for now, here's Mackenzie Smith. Hi. Hi. So I've been following you on Instagram for a bit and you make such dynamic and really funny and exciting videos. Will you tell everybody that doesn't follow you, first of all, why they should and also why or how rather you started doing that? So a while back, um, it's funny because I actually got into Instagram because I used to be super into hunting and fishing when I was younger, I was like all about it. And, um, I had, I live out in the Pacific Northwest out in the Port Angeles area. So there's a lot of really cool areas to hunt and fish out here. Um, and my mom was dating a guy at the time who was a guide. And so we were out there all the time and just like, I've always been very into nature and very into health in general. And so I was like, cool, I'm going to start like figuring out where my food comes from and like kind of sourcing things for myself. It was like a fun time in my life. And then I started realizing that there was kind of, and this was before, um, there was such a thing as like influencers really. I mean, there was kind of that on the celebrity level, but there was definitely not like, you're not just following all these people and like, you know, looking at the things that they're doing all the time. It was more still in the reality TV stage of like, life. right. <laughs> but I remember thinking like, I had reached out to a certain amount of companies when I was doing it. Cause I'm like hunting and fishing gear is super expensive. And I had always been really into photography. So I was like, maybe I could find a way where I could like work with these brands. So I started posting a lot about hunting and fishing on my website or on my Instagram. And that was kind of how I first started getting followers on there. I was like in all these Facebook groups, um, for hunting and fishing. And I had worked with a company that's local to like the Paulsbo area called Grundens. And they were like, yeah, we always are looking for, especially like what I had gotten into it. And basically all these girls that I knew were like, how did you get into that? Like, that sounds super fun, but I just don't know where to start because it's just something that a lot of girls aren't taught from a young age. And even like my dad's never really been super into hunting and fishing. And so I just kind of like got into it and lucked out with having a lot of people who were willing to help me out. And I knew that feeling of like, when you start something new, especially being a girl and you're younger, it's like, you don't want to ask the wrong questions. You don't want to look dumb. And it's such a huge amount of knowledge you need to get for hunting and fishing. And so I was like, maybe I could find a way to, you know, share this with people to where it becomes not such a scary thing to start out in. So I started posting about it all the time. And at the time I was like, I'm definitely going to grow up to like be one of these people who like hunts and fishes on one of these like 
TV shows and um, maybe run my own like guided service out here where I can like get a lot of women to be able to go. And so that's how I got into Instagram initially. Um, and then I got to a point where I was like, it's a lot of work <laughs> to go out and be like hunting and fishing at that level where you have enough content yeah. to be posting like a lot. And I had gotten more into like the cooking side of things versus the actual, like I would go out and hunt and fish, but like after you've gotten, you know, your deer for the season or whatever, it's like, what do you do then? Like, you can't get another deer. You only have a tag for one. Right. So I got into cooking a lot. And then people were asking me about that. And I've always just loved to share. Like when I find out something that works really well for me, I like call up all my friends and I'm like, Hey, did you know about this? Like, did you know that there's like a machine that can help you make your own homemade spaghetti noodles? And they're like, what? Like, you gotta be excited about this. And so I kind of got into sharing a lot on Instagram in that phase. And I grew a lot of followers in the beginning really fast because girls wanted to know about hunting and fishing stuff. And then when I was posting about like how to prepare your own meals and everything, and I didn't really know how to cook. So I was like teaching myself, but doing it online. So I kind of got into it in that respect. And then when I was 24, I got pregnant. And so my life just shifted out of like, I didn't have all this free time anymore to be out, you know, hunting and fishing and like spending yeah. days on end out in the wilderness. It just didn't become something that I was able to do. And so I got more into posting like lifestyle stuff and, um, and like sharing little bits of my life online. Um, and then it just kind of grew from there. I've just loved to share about things that I'm doing and people find it interesting. And I love watching other people do stuff. Cause I'm always like, I'd way rather watch a person do something than, you know, a celebrity or like watch TV where, you know, that a lot of it's like scripted and not really applicable to your lifestyle. I am the same way. So the thing that I hear the most through your story is adaptability. Like yeah. things change. So you just adapt. Right. Where do you feel like that comes from for you? Um, oh, I don't even know. I just, I feel like I've always been really good about being like in the moment and what's like available to me at the time. My fiance always laughs at me because he's like, you know, every morning when you get your cup of tea, it's like, that's the first cup of tea that you've ever had in your life. It's so magical. And I'm like, I just, I'm really good about romanticizing little tiny parts of my life. That's all I've always kind of been. And so being able to just like go with whatever's going on, I had, my parents have always been split up. And, um, so there was a lot of like moving around and a lot of trying to figure out, you know, how to go to school and go back and forth between parents' homes. And I switched schools when I was younger. I went to private school for a while and then moved into the public school. And so I feel like I've never really been in one solid place for a long time. So adaptability just kind of comes second nature at that point. Yeah, that's true for a lot of kids. That adaptability yeah. is just ingrained in you so young. But right romanticizing small things was not ingrained in us when we we're really young. And I feel like, especially now when there's so much coming at kids, you have kids right. now yeah. that there's stuff coming at them from everywhere that romanticizing the little things is hard when there's so much out there. Yeah. You're like, ah, onto the next, onto the next. We stay very small. <laughs> How do you keep that for your kids? How is that sort of passed down for you? We don't do a lot. So I know a lot of parents that, you know, they're always taking their kids to like different activities and they're taking them different places every day. We are very much home. So I try yeah. and keep the house very minimal, very cozy. Um, I try and keep it to where it's all kind of a yes zone. They don't really have areas of the house that they can't get into. And if they do, it's mm. either tucked away up high or locked. So that way I don't have to kind of hover over them. It also helps that we have a lot of property. We're on five acres and kind wow. of out in the country a little bit. So that makes it really nice because 
I try to let them be bored as much as possible. My three-year-old is definitely into YouTube on the TV right now because he's into RC cars and dirt bikes. And so he's like constantly watching when we're not outside, he's like constantly looking up his dirt bike and watching other kids ride or like RC cars and how he can fix them. So we do a little bit of screen time um, in that regard, but for the most part, I'm like putting them outside and letting them find ways to entertain themselves because I feel like that's a skill set that isn't really taught to kids anymore. It's kind of like when I first started parenting, there was all this information about like entertaining them. And I just hated that idea. I'm not a craft mom. I'm not a, like, (laughs) let me set you up with thing after thing after thing. So I was like, I found Rye Parenting really early, R-I-E. And it's um, Janet Lansbury is the author that I started reading her books and kind of following her podcast. And it's very much about like really respecting your kids, but also like the fact that they're their own people. You don't have to entertain them, even from babies. It's not your job to make sure that they're happy all the time. It's your job to just like be present for their emotions, make sure obviously that they're like fed and clothed and things like that. But I just right away was very aware of the idea that like a lot of outside forces are kind of telling you that you need to constantly be putting things in front of your child 24 seven. So a lot of times we're creating that for them where they can't focus on anything, where they don't know how to be bored or they don't know how to just enjoy their life. Yeah. My parents were very similar where they leaned into whatever I was into. So like you mentioned screen time. My parents didn't really limit my screen time, but they were like, okay, so if you're not going to read a book and you're going to watch TV instead, you're going to watch TV with the captions on. And so then you're reading anyways. And I didn't think I was reading, but it's like, we both felt like we won. Mm -hmm. The adaptability now is so important with kids because they have so much information. And then as a parent, I'm sure you have a ton of information too. Right. Photography. Did that come before or after your kids? Uh, before. So I've always been into art. Um, when I was younger, I did, a, I entered a ton of contests for like drawing and painting. And in high school, I kind of got into it. Although classes for art were hard for me because like being graded on art just felt wrong. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. Like just taking something and then kind of picking it apart. Just, it didn't feel very good to me. And then when I was about, Oh, like 17, 18 years old. Um, when I started going to college, so right out of high school, I went to college in Seattle and I was going to be a dentist. And so I went and did prereqs, which was hard for me because it wasn't dental. You know, I'm like, why am I taking psychology and yoga to get into a dental program? It just didn't make sense. So I came back for the summer and I worked at a dental office. Um, and I was going to wait and go back to school in the fall and go and do hygiene and then do full dental. And, um, my plan at that time was like, I'm going to work as a dentist and do like four days a week. And then three days a week, I'll do art just like not for sale, but like for myself. Um, and so I was like, cool. So I started making my own jewelry, which was like a weird thing that I was excited about. And yeah, I got a camera to take pictures to make an Etsy. I was like, oh, I got to be good at taking these photos of my things. I want to sell them. And I sold it to, I sold them to like a couple stores in downtown Port Angeles, um, and got into making my own jewelry. And then that got me into photography. So I started doing that. And then by the time that um, summer was almost over and I was going to be going back to school, I had like a month of summer left and my dentist quit and like moved somewhere else. So I was like, okay, I'm unemployed. So a couple of my friends were like, hey, do you want to take photos for me? Like one of my friends was pregnant and another one had like a little tiny baby. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I posted them on Facebook and people started asking me all the time. So I just like fell into becoming a photographer and I was like, do I want to go to school for eight years? 
or do I want to start working right now? <laughs> That's a really gutsy decision though, because so many people choose the safe option of being like, well, there's a clear path with school. Right. Or I could do the thing that fuels my soul and makes me happy, but it may dry out. It may, you know, only go for a few months. And right. that's scary. I think I was naive enough to like not even think about that. You know, I was like, oh, there's money in it. Like, sweet, let's do it. You know, it was something I was excited about, but I've always, I think that sometimes people want to exaggerate how much they do something just for art when it's like, yeah, you do it for art, but like, it's also okay to be excited about the money. Like, I've always had a very entrepreneurial side to me because my dad, he's a riffer, but he's always had like a different business going on on the side and like made money just doing whatever he wanted to do so that he could set his own hours and kind of work around what he was interested in. And he did like flipping houses for a while and things like that. So I've always kind of loved that about his lifestyle was that he didn't have to be anywhere any certain time and he was doing stuff he was excited about because the money was exciting and like it was his skill set that he was really good at. So he kind of mended everything that he liked into one thing and so when I started taking photos and getting paid for it I was like sweet this means if I don't want to work a lot then I can like take enough photos to pay my rent and then like take the rest of the month off or I can like work as much as I want and like make a savings but it's like up to me how much money I make which I really liked because I've always had a hard time working under an employer and not knowing like like just being able to be like oh I get a 50 cent raise at the end of the year that's like kills me And the concept that it may not happen is always there. Right. And you don't have control over it. Like the harder I worked, it did not matter. It just was like, that was how much money I was going to make. And the only thing that was going to make me make more money in the jobs that I was in was just longevity. And I'm like, that sounds like a killer. Yeah. Because the path is laid out, but the path is tough. Yeah. I have to build myself up and hope that it's ready for me when I get there because there might not be a job. And it's always too, like, I I don't do well when like everything that I'm doing is based on someone else's approval of it, which is still a hard thing with photography to an extent, because obviously like what I do is relevant to the customer liking it as well. But it's the nice part about photography is that they choose me based on like my style and the photos that I've already put out there. So to an extent, they already know what they're getting. Obviously it's different for every client, but it's like a little easier for me to know that we're both choosing each other. So I have a very like long contact form and I try and make sure that like the clients that I'm working with are people that actually like me and my photos and that I'm being as transparent as possible online. So that way they're making like an active decision to choose me. And then I also go through their um, answers on the questionnaire to make sure that I'm also choosing them, that they're actually a client that I think I would, you know, mesh well with. That's really smart that you do a questionnaire before because then you know that you're a good fit before you actually get to meet them and you're like in person. In terms of motivation, are there ever times that you just don't feel like it? Like being your own boss is hard that way. Yeah, it's hard. Um, And I actually just last week got diagnosed with ADHD. Mm. So that was so crazy of a thing because like I didn't even, for us into mental health, as I've been my whole life and all the audiobooks that I listen to and all the self-development that I've done, I literally never thought of ADHD being something that I could have because I've always just seen it portrayed in the media until recently. I've always seen it be like a little boy who can't sit still. And that right. doesn't like align with me. Like I, I'm easily relaxed. I love like 
not moving from the couch. I have a hard time actually like leaving my house to go do errands because I'm like, can I order it? Can I just get it like delivered to me? Because I really don't want to go anywhere. So that was something that I just never thought about until recently from social media, seeing more people be diagnosed with ADHD and talk about what it looks like for women. And I was like, oh, maybe. So, so for people that maybe don't know, what is it for you? What does it look like for women in particular? There's a lot of hyperactivity, but it's in my head. It's not really like my body. Like my body is actually easily relaxed. It's that I get like very almost like monkey mind where I'm like looking at all these different things and I'm like, oh, I need to clean this. I need to do this. I need to order that for the boys. Like I need to get groceries done, which means I need to clean out the fridge. But while I'm cleaning out the fridge, I'll like walk over to the trash to throw something away. And then I'll see something on the counter that needs to be cleaned up. And then I'll like end up watering the plants somehow. And then I like look back over and the fridge is still open and I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. That's what I was doing. I was, I was totally like taking care of the refrigerator. And then, so I just kind of like have this weird, like I can't focus on one thing at a time and it's hard with motivation. That's what made me think of that is because there's, I get super, super manic energy where I'm like doing everything and I'm over committing to different things that I can get done. And I'm making long to-do lists and I'm like, making reels. And then I'm responding to emails and I'm like drinking a cocktail, you know, in the middle of the day. Cause I'm like, this is great. The sun is out like super happy. And then the second I sit on the couch, I'm like, I don't want to answer any calls or emails. I don't want to text anyone back. I'm just going to turn on Netflix and like, pretend like I don't have anything else to do. Well, the exhaustion from all the things you had already right. done just comes full force. And yeah. I'm the same way. Mine tends to manifest sometimes like that where I'm like physically running all over the house, but sometimes it's just sitting down at the computer to do one thing. And then half an hour later, still not having done that thing. I've just done all the other things that I didn't need to do. The one thing I did need to do is still on my to-do list. It's hard when it's not something that you're interested in at that moment. So like, it's hard for me because I love the parts of my job that are creative and I love shooting and I love working with clients, but I have a really hard time responding to emails because they're boring. Like, yeah, I want to just like, when I read someone's email and I, they tell me about themselves, I want to just like call them and like talk to them kind of face to face, but that's not really, that also like makes me nervous. Cause I'm like, I don't like to have the immediate yeah. interaction where I have to be on, or I might say something that's like dumb or doesn't make sense or you know, whatever someone says, happy birthday. I say happy birthday to some, or someone says happy birthday to me. And then I say happy birthday back. And I'm like, oh, that was, that's definitely not their birthday. So. Right. <laughs> oh my God. That happens to me all the time. For me, the judgment creeps in. I don't know about you, but for me, judgment creeps in where I go, would it be better to email this person or call this person? Because if I email them, maybe they'll read it in a tone I didn't intend. But right. if I call them, maybe I'll say something stupid and scare them away. Like then I get into a spiral there. <laughs> Well, and at 18, I was um, diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. So that's just what I have always researched. What I have like been so focused on in my mental health and in my self-development has been anxiety because that's what I was diagnosed with at 18. And so I haven't ever like really explored that I would possibly have anything else because a doctor told me that I have generalized anxiety disorder, which now I know that anxiety can be a symptom of ADHD which is why sometimes I'm totally fine. And other times I'm like crippled with anxiety because I'll do all these things. When I have a lot of energy, I'll like commit to a lot of things and make a lot of plans. And then when I don't have that energy, I get super anxious. And I'm like, did I say something wrong? I'm like, I, cause I kind of almost black out when I'm like super excited. And then I'm like, I was probably too loud or I probably said something wrong or I probably like scared that person away with how excited I was about something small. 
So then I get really anxious and then I'm like, okay, um, I overcommitted and now I'm a horrible person because now I'm lazy and I'm not taking care of the things that I said I was going to do. And I'm not responding to that person's text and they're going to be mad at me. Or how do you talk yourself out of those moments when you talk yourself into things that are not real and based in nothing? Yeah, that part's really hard. (laughs) Um, when I was younger, what I started doing when I was like 21 is kind of when I hit like a rock bottom with my mental health. I just was like, I think throughout high school, especially because I didn't know that I had anything different than anyone else. And so I was like, I'm just overly sensitive and I can't handle situations sometimes. Like sometimes I'm super confident and like having a great time. And then other times I just like can't even stomach going to school because I'm so terrified of people in general. And so when I found out that I had anxiety, a lot of things clicked for me. And I was like, wow, I've been making so many choices just based on, I hope people like me. So I kind of was changing everything about myself based on the people that I was around, just doing anything and everything to try and make sure that I wasn't making people mad. And by doing that created this whole person that I just didn't even like, like I didn't want to be around myself because I was always trying to make other people laugh and other people happy, which turned into me being like, kind of, kind of labeled like the party girl, because I was always trying to make other people happy. So I'm like, okay, let's go to a party. Let's like, I was the first one to hand people drinks and like to over drink because I'm nervous about being around people. So I'm like, this makes me feel more comfortable. This makes me feel less anxious. And then it increases my anxiety the next day because I have less of a memory of what, you know, I'm like, wait, did I say something wrong or do something wrong? Or was I too much? And so I kind of hit a little bit of a rock bottom when I was like 18 to 21. And I was like, this just is not working for me. Like even the people that like me right now, they like me because of what I'm doing to please them. They don't like me because of who I am. Cause I'm not being myself. I'm like, being this different person around people. And then I'm going home and like needing all these days in a row to not be with anyone because I just want to be myself. I just want to like, let it all go and not feel like I have to be on all the time. And so I started listening to audiobooks a lot. Cause I'm like, okay, the times when I get in my head are typically when I don't have anything physically to do. So when I'm like showering or when I'm oh, driving yeah. or something, then I'm like in my own head and there's no one to talk to and there's no way to like stay out of my own head. So if I listen to someone else talk, then it makes me feel better. And so I would start listening to audiobooks and I started getting into a lot of self-development. So then I started like meditation and um, like exercising. I did a bunch of exercise classes in an actual like women's class gym. So that way I could be focusing on, you know, positive things for my body and for my mental health. Um and just going really deep into like therapy, figuring out why I was the way that I was and what types of situations made me feel anxious, what types of people I was putting myself around. Um, Just trying to kind of figure out like, is there a way for me to live not in this constant state of anxiety? Because I was to the point where I was waking up in the morning and just like so dreading the day that I would not get out of bed. Like I wouldn't get out of bed till 11 or 12 because I was just so like mortified at the thought of having to do it all over again. Yeah. People forget that those labels are, there's something behind them. The party girl, there's something behind it. The quiet girl, there's something behind it. There's something behind all those labels and the social hangover. Oh Oh, boy. I've experienced so many social hangovers where I just spend the whole next day being like, what did I say? Right. When I said, what? Like that will paralyze you more than any actual hangover. Right. Well, and part of it too, was that not only was I like overacting, I guess, for the people that I was around trying to like be this fun and exciting person that people would like. 
but I was also in my head, like the next day, demonizing the part of me that liked to be around people. So mm. I would like go and do all these things and be like the fun party person who's like making sure everyone's having a good time, but also like compromising on my own, like morals and standards and stuff too, to make sure that everyone I was like, I would, you know, be so I would overshare about myself. And that included like stories that were other people's stories too. So I'm just like kind of gossiping and like, just trying to like make other people that are around me happy. And then the next day I was like, well, that was really shitty. Like you're obviously a really bad person. And you know, why would you say those things about yourself or about other people? Why were you like, you know, saying stuff? Why were you so happy, so excited? And so then I also kind of made myself feel like I shouldn't be, cause I really do like to be around people and I really do like to have a good time. And so then I was like, well, it's cause you're, you know, not only are you being stupid, but you're also like, vain and cocky and like all these things when really it's like it's there there's a in a medium you know it's like I'm a confident fun person and that's not a bad thing it's only becomes bad when I'm doing it out of anxiety and fear and for the people around me and not out of like I love myself and this is something that like I'm excited to be doing and I like being around people so I can be fun and loud and that's okay but I need to make sure that I'm doing things with the intention and with like the feeling of like, I'm doing this because I'm confident and I love myself and I want to have a good time. Not because I want to make sure everyone around me is having a good time. Yeah. And it's probably a little bit going back to why you chose art over working in a dental office is it makes you happy as opposed to what makes other people happy or what's expected of you. Right. And it's, it's very much too, like I can, I love making my own schedule because it's really easy for me. Like if I can not necessarily like feed into my ADHD, I guess, but like if I can work with it instead of against it, if I can get things done in a way that feels good, where I'm like, okay, when I have energy, I have a good to-do list of things to do. I know like about how long I can work really well before I need to recharge and not demonizing myself in either side of that. Like it's not a bad thing when I want to be social and when I want to be excited and when I'm energetic, like that's not too much for people as long as I'm doing these with the right intentions. And also when I need a break, that's okay too. Yeah. I like to plan my days or if I'm like, okay, I have to go out Monday and Tuesday. I'll make sure Wednesday is a stay at home night. Right. Like those things are really important to build in, but you have to know yourself first. Exactly. Mackenzie, can I ask you a few questions about your life? What is one thing that you wish you had known at 18? Hmm. I mean, I wish I would have found out earlier that I had ADHD because as, as nice as it feels now to know and to be learning about it, I wish I had gotten that diagnosis when I was 18. So that way I could have learned as much. I mean, I know that I'm, you know, I'm 29, so I'm not old, but I still feel like there's a lot of things where like I started. So last week I got my official diagnosis, but about a month and a half ago is when I started seeing more about it and being like, huh there were so many things that I had been like, okay, this is like a character flaw of mine, right? Like this is something I need to work on or I need to life hack out of myself. And then to hear that like those things were because of something felt really good. That doesn't mean it fixes it, but it at least made me feel like, you know, there's not something fundamentally wrong with who I am. It's just that I have something and I can choose to like, which is how I felt when I got my anxiety diagnosis too, was like, there's something that I've just been taking as like, oh, this is something that's wrong with me. Not this is something that I have to deal with because that's how my brain's working. Yeah. And it's really important to just have an answer. Even if that answer doesn't necessarily lead to things, it puts puzzle pieces into place. 
Right. And having the language is good. Like when you know, before I even had the terms for like manic energy and things like that, I was like, sometimes I'm like, I'm like, sometimes I'm a psycho. Like sometimes I'm just like doing all these things. Like what is wrong with me? It's like, I took, you know, speed or something. And then the other times I was also like, oh, I'm super lazy. Like I'm just a lazy person. I can't follow through on things. I'm flighty, you know, when really it's like, if I, if I had the knowledge of those things and the language to describe it, then it gives you this place where you can be like, okay, this is something I can deal with. This is something I can like work around, not just like, oh shit, I'm a bad person. So I guess uh, that's that. <laughs> that language is so important. It really is. What is one life lesson you've had to learn over and over again? Ooh, I think the oversharing thing is hard for me because <laughs> when I start to talk, then I'm like, I think part of it is that I, is that I like to socialize. But the other part of it is like, if I tell people everything about me, they can't not like me. Right. Like right. if I explain everything, then like they can't have a negative perception of me because they'll understand like why I am the way that I am when really it's like, that's not my responsibility to make sure that people like me. And I, I also like in these times when I'm just like talking, 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 I didn't used to have a very good like barometer of what wasn't my story to share. Like I was just oh. like, oh, this funny story or this thing or whatever. And I'm so used to like oversharing about myself that I was like, okay, I need to like, I need to a have boundaries for myself, but I also need to remember that like everything people tell me is not just mine for like this, the story, you know, it's like some yeah. people aren't as comfortable telling everyone everything about themselves. And so I need to be careful that when I'm speaking that I'm not like putting someone else under the bus or I'm not like sharing without talking to them about it, that I'm being like a good friend and, you know, being aware of other people's feelings and that I'm not throwing stuff at people who are like not wanting to listen to because like if someone asks me a question that's one thing but I don't need to like go and just be like running off at the mouth from someone who maybe can't handle something like that or maybe they're like not in a place to be that social or now you know your social barometer and when you need right. to recharge you can recognize it in other people too yeah and that can be really important but it's like it takes a long time to recognize yeah. those things. and I catch myself too you know because like especially with having kids, I don't have the ability anymore. Like if I'm just like kind of feeling social, I used to like, you know, go to one of the local like bars for lunch or something and like chat with, you know, my friends or, um, or like one of the waitresses that I know really well, you know, go and just like chat and stuff. And that's fine. But now that I have children, it's like, I don't get all these times to go and be social or to go and be spontaneous or, you know, to kind of get that out. And so it's like once every six months, all of a sudden I get a free night and I go out and I'm like, balls to the wall, just like so happy to be outside the house and so ridiculously energetic. I'm like, I don't want to go home till like four in the morning, which has never happens. I always go home at like nine, but the thought that it could be four in the morning right. is so exhilarating. Right. Well, and then it's like, I just, I'm so much at those points. Cause I'm like, I'll never get this chance again, which I will. And like, I can schedule those things in for myself. So, but I think with kids, it makes it harder. Cause I never know when, I'm going to get more time to be social. And so I keep on having to relearn about like, it's okay to pace myself. I'm not yeah. just like, you know, when I'm feeling that like excited energy, it's okay to be excited. It's okay to have a good time, but it's also okay to like take a breath. It's not going to like, because I think when you have ADHD and you get these bursts of energy, there's part of you that's like, this is going to go away. So I better do every single thing possible. And you have the energy for it. So you want to do every single thing possible. Right. I get like super, super, super energetic. And it's like, I want to, it's hard 
because right now with children, I just have so many things that need to get done. You know, I've got work and I'm, my business is a full-time business, but I can do it on a part-time schedule. And then I have the kids full-time. I don't have a nanny and I don't have a housekeeper. So those are two things that I've had off and on over the last few years, but only for a couple months at a time before it just didn't work out. And so I'm like, I have all these things that I want to do when I have that energy. And I also want to go out and socialize. And I also want to like, you know, call up all my friends that I haven't talked to in a long time and be like, Hey, let's do something. And then, but then the anxiety is crippling because you have all these things, you have kids and you want to go out and you want to be social and you also have to clean the house. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of times I just get overwhelmed and I'm like, I guess I'll just watch the same show I've watched for the last two years over again. Yeah. Like I'll sit on the couch and just like, cause then I get overwhelmed. I'm like, Oh, okay. I can't, I can't commit to all those things and I can't get all of it done. So, and just sitting feels good. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. What's the best piece of relationship advice you've ever gotten? I, so I've only been in two long-term relationships. Basically I was in a seven year long relationship when I, my first boyfriend, when I was 15, I was with him for seven years. Um, and then we broke up and then I was single for about a year before I met Scott, who's my fiance. And we've been together for about seven years now. So I think that the biggest difference in those relationships was, I mean, a growing up makes a big difference and like getting diagnosed with anxiety made a big difference. I was able to make better choices after all those things happened. But someone told me one time about the 80, 20 rule. And they were like, you're never going to get a hundred percent from someone, anyone. I mean, friendships, relationships, whatever it is, you can't ever get a hundred percent of what you need in a person. And that's fine. That's totally okay. But you need to figure out what 20% you're not getting. And like, is that okay to get other places? So like, obviously in a relationship, if like everything's great, but like the sex isn't there, that's not somewhere where you can like get that somewhere else. Yeah. You can't go that 20% most relationships. So (laughs) it's like, you have to figure these things out because in my first relationship, we had a lot of things in common, like interests and hobbies and like all these very surface level things. So we got along great as friends and we like had a great time together. Um, but a lot of our long-term goals and like our very fundamental core values were just not in line at all. And that didn't work because it was, it came back down to like a people pleasing thing. And then like these parts that weren't meeting up, there was so much insecurity. There was so much fighting. It was a very toxic relationship and, and on both ends, like I'm not definitely not demonizing the person. I know that I was toxic enough for a lot of, a lot of the responsibility in that relationship. When we're 15, we're all a little bit toxic. We don't know how to be people. Yeah. That high school life is, I look back at like high school now and I'm like, I would not survive. Like as the person I am now, I would go back to like all that craziness and be terrified. Like, I don't know how they expect to put like a building with all these hormonal teenagers and like nowhere to escape from the people that you're with. And like, they're like, oh, that should be fine. They'll learn. (laughs) Yeah. It's just ridiculous. But then like the 80, 20 thing. So then when I got together with my fiance, like he's not a social person when it comes to like going out, like chatting for long periods of time. Like he does, he wants to be home. So he wants to go to work and then he wants to spend time at home and we get along on so many fundamental levels. And like, he's not insecure when it comes to like me going and having a good time with my friends or like going out and, you know, having my girlfriend days where we're just like chatting all day or doing whatever. If I want to invite people back here, he's totally fine. Just like being with the kids and hanging out at home and like letting me do my thing there. So it was like one of those things where I'm like, okay, 80%. We get along super well. We have a lot of the same values. We both love being at home. We have the same goals when it comes to like money and children and, you know, financial stability and what we like to do for 
you know, long-term goals. And then on this like part of me, that's like social and likes, I don't know, like going on, going to concerts and going on vacations and doing those little things like those we don't really align on, but it's fine to get that other places. So I remind myself too, I'm like, okay, there's some people, cause I deal with a lot of couples, right? I shoot a lot of couples. So I'll come back and be like, they were super all over each other. Like, why aren't we like that? Cause we're not like super PDA and we're not super like, um, chatty with each other. Like we talk about deep personal issues, but we're not like a really talkative couple. And I have to remind myself that like, it's okay that those things I can get from other people and like friendships in my life fill in these places that I might not get constantly in my relationship. They're moment to moment. So that couple might be super all over each other today, like in this moment, because they're just super jazzed to be at the session, but we don't know if they're like that all the time. Right. Last question. What is one emotion that you wish you were better at? I feel like I'm really good at telling people how much they mean to me, but I'm actually not. Oh, I, I think about it a lot in my head. Like I am really like so appreciative of people in my head. And I like think they're just like the best thing ever. And I just don't say it. And I don't know why I have this weird, like, I guess because I have like very strong emotions when it comes to people, like I'm a very emotional person. And so when I go to say it out loud, it sounds so dumb sometimes, you know what I mean? When you're oh, like, 100%. you're such a great person. Like that sounds weird. To no, say. I'm like, I sound high right now. I swear. Right. I just, I right. just wanted to tell you. Or like sometimes with like girlfriends, I'm like, it sounds like I'm like hitting on you kind of like, I'm sorry. This might be uncomfortable for you. I just, <laughs> right. So that is something where I'm learning how to like just casually tell people how I feel about them. It still feels uncomfortable for me because I'm such a like emotional, like deep with my emotions kind of person. So sometimes I'm just like, this is a lot for people to take on. Maybe you should just dial that back a few notches. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been incredible. Will you tell everybody where to check a check out your incredible photography, amazing skills. Also, if anybody is in the Washington area, what is a website that they can use to book you? Um, the northwestfocus.com is my website. And then um, my Instagram handle for that is at Northwest Focus Co. And my personal one is at Mackenzie Smith, M-A-K-E-N-Z-Y Smith. Perfect. Thank you so much for doing this. Yes, of course. Thanks so much for having me. And there you have it, you guys. That's season two. I want to thank Mackenzie for coming on and I will just plant this one little nugget in your head that if you're going to miss me and miss the show, go back and listen to all the fun episodes from season one and season two. And if you missed an episode here or there, now is the perfect time to catch up. I promise you guys, I will be back. Until then, keep kicking ass. That's all for today's episode. Check back in next week to talk a little more shit with me. In the meantime, be sure to grab your copy of Shit Adults Never Taught Us on Amazon and Barnes & Noble to learn all the shit adults never taught us. And in case no one told you this week, you're killing it. So keep going, you genuine badass.